Man, I really wish we were doing this during War of the Parks. Alright, and welcome to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm your host, Chris, and I am joined, as always, by my friend Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. This is Joe. <laughs> and... Today we are covering the draft format. Uh, no catchy intro because I couldn't think of a good one. But before we get started, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, show ideas, uh, anything to that nature, you can go ahead and contact us. Uh, our email is mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook uh, at mtgunderthehood as well. And Twitter, you can. Our handle is at MTG Under the Hood. With that being said, the deck that I've been working on has actually been two of them, so kind of similar. Both of them are tiny leaders. We'll cover that format in a later episode. Um, but one of them is Azuri, and that's an Elf Ball one. The other one is Mono Green Stompy with Yarvo as the head of it. Just big green Stompies. Having fun. There you go. What are you working on? Well, I actually got to play my deck that I'm working on last night. So uh, this is one of those commanders I never thought I'd own because he's incredibly expensive. Uh, it was an Urza Lord High Artificer, the mono blue commander from uh, um, Modern Horizons the first time around. He was one of those, I again, he's incredibly expensive. Never thought I'd open one, but I did happen to get lucky and found one in a pack. So I said, of course, we're going to have to try this. Now, I'd always heard that Urza, Lord High Artificer, was one of those top-tier commanders, one that people were just afraid to play. But I never really understood why. Well, I, I learned why last night. Uh, I, I, I made a Voltron-themed deck where you take the construct token that he creates whenever he comes into play, and you suit it up with a bunch of equipment, and at the same time... I'm also dropping in cheap artifacts or artifacts that have affinity just to increase my artifact count, building up the strength of the construct token. Well, I didn't realize just how quickly I'd be able to unload my hand. Uh, you know, when you have five cards down on the battlefield on turn one, it was, you know, it, it, it was a lot. Uh, so that, that deck has earned its place. It is, it is quite good. I do like it, and I will play it again, just we're going to make sure people are very understanding, like, if I'm going to play this deck, guys understand, this is going to be a high-powered game. <laughs> Urza does not just come out because I feel like playing. He's he, he has got a potency to him, and honestly, I don't even have, I think, the best artifacts in there or anything. I, I just it, That's just what I happen to have. I didn't get any cards to put in the deck. I, those... I just had them all on hand. It's kind of like my the situation with my Conrad deck. It's like I just right. had those cards on hand, and they just work, seem to work well work together. Work really well together, yeah. So that's what I was working on this week, and it, it is. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I also got uh, some, some Judge Foils in the mail not too long ago, one of the first rounds that I got. So we are also have some ideas brewing for some other decks that I can use those foils in as part of you know the, the deck. So... And it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that one was actually a turn one soul ring on your part, and you still came out on top. It was, well, it was land, soul ring, 
into Tormod's crypt, into a Wayfarer's bobble, and there was one other... Spell capsule. Or was that the next turn? Oh, I don't... There was one other card that I put on the field also on that turn. But yeah, it was... It was ridiculous. It was a turn one soul ring. Yeah. And you it, and you had your construct be like, at one point I think it was a 14-14 with double strike and lifelink. You stopped counting your life at 114. It all said trample. It also yeah. had trample, but yeah. So <laughs> yeah. you stopped, you you were gaining so much life, you just didn't care about it at that point. Urza was on the battlefield on turn two. It was yeah. it was quite an impressive run for that deck, and I do think part of the reason it was so potent is I did have such an amazing opening hand. But even still, we have learned you 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 don't just play that deck with anybody. You got to warn people ahead of time that it is a high powered deck, and so if we want to play it, that's fine. But we're all going to be on the same power level here. You know, I'm not going to just come in and do that ever again. That's you know, and again, I didn't know how how potent it was going to be. But we learned very quickly. And even I said, I'm like, all right, we're just going to wrap this up. I'm done. We'll reshuffle. This deck goes away. And it, it doesn't come back out tonight. <laughs> I mean, it was a good... I mean, that one... I say you played at least one or two more times. Oh, yeah. That way you can get you know a good feel for it. Because, I mean, that one you just had a lucky hand. Yeah. that And that really made a big difference. Um, Like, with my Conrad deck, there's... Like, whenever I first started playing it, it... Didn't seem like it was going to go very well, mm -hmm. but then like over time putting, you know, tuning it and everything and then getting used to it and understanding how everything works. Right. That's a powerhouse. Oh yeah. Especially, if, especially whenever, you know, I'm at a table and another guy's playing a mill deck. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh cool. You're just going to be, I want to get my commander out as fast as possible right. just to cash in on everything. Yeah. So that's what I've been working on and building. Let's move on to some words to live by because we have some that are very specific for the draft format this week. So our first word is wheel. Wheel is a term that you're going to hear frequently when discussing draft, and this means that a card in a draft pack is not chosen until the pack actually returns to you in the rotation. So when you are drafting, of course, there are 14 or 15 cards in the pack and only eight people playing, so frequently you're going to get cards back. You, when they say card wheels, that means it goes all the way around the draft pod and makes it back to you without being selected. And being able to figure out which cards will wheel and which ones typically don't uh, is an important skill when learning how to draft. So the next one is combat trick. And this is... Uh, referring to an instant speed spell uh, or ability or ability um, that enables you to eliminate threats, decrease your opponent's creatures, and or enhance your creatures during the combat phase. Um, this is mostly for the aggressive decks, but it, you can still do defensive um, combat tricks as well. Um, it's just that combat trick in a whole is stuff that is meant to happen during the combat phase. Right. Um, you can still do it outside of the combat phase. You just won't have as much value and... Oh, it's meant to be got by surprise. Yes. Yeah. It's really meant to be taken, taking your opponent by surprise. Uh, combat tricks, typically, I mean, some people really like them. Others don't. Some people like that play style. Others don't. And really, the value of combat tricks varies from set to set. 
sometimes they are really good, other times not so much. Um, then there's some creatures that really enjoy combat tricks. Yeah. Um, Feather the Redeemed and Zodahedra Grinder. Mm -hmm. Those two absolutely love combat tricks because you get a lot of value off of it. Right. Especially with Zada because if you target him, it targets everything else that you can. Right. It creates copies and does everything else. Yeah. And uh, so there are some, some play styles where it's really good, some play styles where it doesn't really work. It's just... You have to find that nice balance and figure out where it fits perfectly. And but once you do, it's absolutely beautiful, and you can get some really explosive turns out of it. Yep. And Joe, what's the last one? The last word we have is called draft chaff. Now these are cards that are kind of useful in draft to an extent, but it's really describing cards that don't see much play outside of the limited format in which they were released, and even then they're kind of the cards that are going to wheel frequently. The ones that, all right, I'll take it, but it's not something that I really want. It's not something I'm really going to play. Uh, it's going to fill out a spot in my deck. Or it's something like a sideboard card. You know, Plummet is a typical sideboard card. You don't put it into your deck unless you know your opponent is running a lot of creatures with flying and you need that elimination card. Uh, Disenchant is kind of the same way. It's great if you're going up an artifact, if you're going up against an artifact or an enchantment deck, but otherwise it's just not there. Plus, disenchant and plummet—they're so frequently used in different sets. You you see so many copies of them and so many releases. They're just kind of like you know, dime a dozen cards at that point. They're so, usually in the penny box. Exactly. You know, so draft chaff cards that really—they're okay. They're not fantastic, but they're definitely not the cards that people are searching for out of a particular set. With that, let's move on to the focus of our show. We do want to give a quick disclaimer. A lot of our discussion for today regarding draft is going to be related to paper drafting instead of drafting through Arena or Magic the Gathering online. The foundations are pretty much the same. But there are differences between drafting online and drafting with paper. We would really like to get into the drafting with paper. If you want to get more ideas about drafting online via Arena or Moto, go online and search YouTube for drafts, draft videos, and people will talk you through their thought process on why they're picking that. And you can actually watch them go through the draft format uh, on Arena or Moto. But... I don't know about you, but personally, I prefer paper drafting anyway. I mean, I, I, I've only done draft once, and that was, what, last weekend? Yes, with the Mystery Boosters. With the yeah. Mystery Booster, which I had a lot of fun. Like, it was my first, like, it was my first time drafting, and it just was a lot of fun. Like, I didn't, I was a, I was a clean slate, empty cup, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, I was going into it you know, white as snow, and it was just, I mean, with you being the judge, it was also really helpful, just because, you know, I actually knew someone there, and... Well, yeah, it's always easier when you know someone, and you, you, you have that comfort level to ask questions and everything, yeah. Oh, yeah, and, like, I knew, like, I knew going into it that it was going to be, like, all right, crack the pack, look at it, pick a card and pass. What I didn't know is that there was a time limit. Yeah, that, and, that catches some people off guard. And so, like, I'm like, okay, so, like, I was quick, like, I quickly going through the cards, and I'm looking at it, 
And the first card that I drafted was actually the test card that came in clutch in almost every oh, single nice. game. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I want to build a deck around it, but so let's keep going. Well, that's right, and, and I guess that kind of brings up one of the reasons why we're talking about drafting in paper because mm. the time limit is very different. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, the time limit for paper is less than a minute. All right, at all times, whereas the the time limit for Arena, and I'm not sure about Moto. I've, I've never played on Magic the Gathering online. I haven't either. Uh, but the, I know the time limit for Arena is much, much longer. And so it really does change how you approach drafting based off whether it's paper or online. All right, correction. That was my first time drafting paper. Okay. I did one event on Arena that was a draft, and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I absolutely, <laughs> like, I paid the, like, I paid to get into it, and I was hoping to get my wins to, like, kind of just balance right. out. Nope. Three losses straight in a row. Well, and I guess that that's part of the other reason that I prefer drafting paper as opposed to digital. I know that you're paying to draft regardless. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what format. You have to pay to do that. Uh, I always feel better when no matter how my actual draft goes, if I win, lose, whatever, I always feel better when I walk away with physical cards in my hand. I even if the value isn't overly great, I know I walked away with something physical that I can eventually, if I really don't like it, I could try to sell it and and make recoup a little bit of money. You can't do that with Arena, and even with MTGO, I know they have an, a marketplace that's available, but I don't know exactly how well that would work. You know. Uh, some people with more experience on Moto might be able to help you out with that, but I, I don't have that information. So that sort of gives us an idea as to why we're focusing on paper. So draft, what is it? Draft is a format where you're going to sit and build your deck at the event. It follows the card pool rules for limited, meaning all of the packs are from one set or block. It depends on... In previous iterations, when you were drafting, sometimes you would do a, a you can do a block idea. Um, you don't see that too much anymore because of the way Wizards has changed how they're doing their drafting. All right, but basically, the group of players will each open a booster pack from a single set, and you choose one card out of that pack to place into the deck you're going to make. You have a time limit on how to on how long you get to look through the pack. And then once that that time limit is over, you're going to take the cards that you didn't choose and pass them off to an opponent. Once, and you'll continue to do that until all the cards from the booster pack are chosen. Once all of the booster packs, and it's usually three packs per player, once they've been opened and the cards have been picked, you're going to make the best 40 card deck you can. So, Chris, you were talking about how it's the last time was really your, your first paper draft. So, what kind of preparation did you do to get ready for that draft? Well, because it was, I, I knew it was, I obviously talked to you, and either that or you talk, You told me about mm-hmm. the uh, U.S. if I was going to the draft. And uh, I was like, yeah, might as well. I had the day off, I didn't have to work the night shift at work, and so I was like, yeah, I'll do it. It's the first Saturday that I've had off in a while, so I'll go play Magic. And then found out that it was, found out what set it was, and it was Mystery Boosters. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, cool, did a little bit of research, and it's like, the card pool for Mystery Boosters is like 1,800 cards plus the test cards. 
And it's like, well, I'm not going to have time to sit down and go through and figure out what's all good. So if I was going through, if I was going, if it was any other set where I could easily just go online and get the card list and go, all right, this one's like, right. Like kind of formulate an idea. I would have done that. But since it was mystery boosters, no way. I <laughs> yeah, went into it. wasn't going to happen. <laughs> I literally went, YOLO, let's do this. And so I just kind of picked cards that I liked and had fun. But, like, going into it, it was, I just double-checked with the LGS at home, like, what time it was. Because I went in on Friday mm-hmm. to play Friday Night Magic. We're supposed to play Legacy, but only three people had. Yeah. So we didn't really have that much of a showing. And on my way out, or, you know, at some point I asked the owner, um, it's like, if it if the draft was the next day and he was like, yeah, cool. So I double checked with him and then double checked with you again, just so that I made sure I had the right times and everything had my, got a thing of sleeves and had grabbed my dice in my bag and my, uh, life in my notebook for life. Yeah. So basically you did exactly what we're encouraging our, our listeners to do. Uh, you want to make sure that you get in touch with your LGS Regarding the location, the date, the time, and the event, you know, you just want your basic info, like you would for any event. You want to double-check the entry fee. This is kind of an important issue. Most of your drafts, when it's just your standard set that comes out, for let's just take Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Not a premium set, it's just your normal summer release, uh, release set. So a draft for that will run anywhere probably twelve to fifteen dollars. Just depends on you know, where you go and what other additions you get. You know, in addition to the packs that you're buying. But if it's a premium set like Modern Horizons two, the mystery boosters that we open, those typically have a higher entry fee because packs are more expensive. Which again makes sense. We can talk about the price of packs on another show. That'll be on episode 13B, uh, where we rant about the price of magic. But that's a different story. So, again, you just want to check on the price. Make sure you know what you're walking into. Because we did have a couple people at the Mystery Booster draft that were a little caught off guard that the entry fee was a little bit higher than it would be for a typical draft. So you just need to be prepared for that. And then you need to find out if there's a limit to the number of players permitted. Typical draft pods have eight players. That's what works out best. But the TO may actually limit the draft to the first eight players that register, and that's it. That, that's all that are allowed to play. Maybe that's all they have enough product for. Maybe they don't want to have ten people show up, so you have to pick the first eight, and then the other two are kind of left off on their own. So they may limit it to a number of players. And for those wondering, TO is tournament organizer. Oh, yeah, in case we haven't ever said that before. Yeah, I don't think we have. Yeah. That's why it caught me a little off guard. Yeah. So you, you want to just, again, make sure you have all of that information. And if you are informing the, the tournament organizer that you're going to be at the draft, please make sure you stick to it because someone else may not get a slot at that point uh, because you've already taken that spot. And if you don't show up, that, again, makes it more difficult for everybody now to really run the draft. So just make sure that if, you, if you're reserving a spot for yourself, you're there. You then need to find out which set is being used for the draft. Some people like to draft based off of the set. We we did a, a Forgotten Realms draft not too long ago, when about a month ago when it came out. And we did talk to a couple people who we knew played Magic, and they just weren't interested in drafting Forgotten Realms. They didn't really like the set, they didn't really want to do it, so they didn't want to spend money to come in, even though it was going to be a fun time. We had, we had a nice time, we enjoyed the draft, but 
Some other people didn't want to do it, so make sure you know which set is actually being used. Now once you get into the set, there's a series of questions you really should talk to yourself about. So, Chris, what questions should our listeners ask themselves? Uh, the first one is, is this set, uh, set of cards um, one that you enjoyed, enjoy or enjoyed in your constructed decks? So with that one, it's if you're, like you said, like they weren't interested in drafting Forgotten Realms, but if it was like something along the lines of like Modern Horizons or War of the Spark or right. like some or Throne of Eldraine of all things. I, if we had done a Throne of Eldraine draft, oh, I guarantee a lot more people would have been there. <laughs> so it all. So for that one, it's like what a lot of people pick and choose which drafts they go to based on what set it is, just because of the cards. Right, and you get to keep the cards, so oh, yeah. that 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 really does matter. Yeah. Um. Next one is is. This is a set that has enjoyable interactions in it. Um, so, the biggest interaction that I can think of is Landfall. So, any so if it was like any of the Zendikar sets, one set that you know it's very prominent in there is Landfall. So, absolutely. And sometimes you can break that, and it gets really. It, it can either be fun or oppressive, and there's a very thin line between those oh, two. Yes. <laughs> um. The third one is, what is unique about this set? So the biggest thing that I can say about uniqueness is the difference between mystery boosters and, like, actual draft boosters. Or, like, you know... Well, a, like, a, a, a limited set. Yeah. One of, your, one of your standard release sets. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, mystery boosters versus, let's just go with Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Because it's the newest. With Forgotten Realms, you're limited to only, like, what is it, 300 and something cards is usually the average. Uh, yeah, they do somewhere between, uh, somewhere around 350. Yeah, yeah so, like, so with that 15 cards, you're going to get, you have a limited pool of, for the Forgotten Realms one at least, around 350 cards is the card pool. So you can kind of guess what you're going to be getting. Right. But with the Mystery Boosters, like I said, 1,800 cards cards plus all the test cards yeah so these things when oh, they're spread over across numerous sets i mean i i opened a, a draft boost or a, a mystery booster that came from visions uh i got another one that was from one of the urza sets i pulled a card from the Urza. so we're talking like what's the one with the bridge isn't that one legions that was Exodus. Oh, so, you know? yeah, I got... So, I mean, but we're talking going all the way back 20, 25 years mm -hmm. worth of magic, you know, before we... And then including cards up to about last year could be found. Because I, I also, you know, I pulled some Ravnica. Mm -hmm. Ravnica 3 cards in there. Uh, so, yeah. I, Ravnica you, 2 on mine. Yeah. Uh, last, last weekend I pulled Ravnica 2, I think. Yeah. No, it, Ravnica 1. Right. So... Yeah, you, you, it's hard to tell sometimes what's unique about sets like the Mystery Boosters, but your basic set, what's unique about it? What makes that set special? What's what's specific to, what, what are the main goals of that set? And then the last one, last question is, we pretty much kind of answered this one numerous times, and it's simply asking, is this a set that you want to draft? Like we said numerous numerous times before, like, there are people that pick and choose, that cherry-pick their drafts that they go to based off of what set it is, just because they might find some enjoyable. I would love to go, I would love for an Innistrad draft. 
I don't want to pay to go to an Innistrad draft, but yeah, that would be... <laughs> Neither do I, but... <laughs> but it would be fun, But yeah. that would be fun. I oh, would, yeah. Um, let's see, what's another fun one that I would love to draft? Oh, Scars. Scars of Mirrodin. Scars of Mirrodin. Yeah. The Scars that the scars of Mirrodin block would be... F- well, either of the Mirrodin blocks would be yeah. fun. Yeah, Lorwyn. Oh, Lorwyn or Kamigawa. I know no, not many people like Kamigawa, but I would I would like to to draft that. That would be fun. But again, finding the cards—that's the hard part. Yeah. Well, I mean, we just have to wait a little bit, and we can get uh, the new Kamigawa set coming out. And I really want to draft the new set that comes out. Oh, we'll do it. We will make it happen. So now that we've asked all of our questions about the preliminary information, it's time to do your research. And again, this is similar to your constructed format, but it does have a lot of differences since you're not building your deck ahead of time. You need to know the set. You need to know the mechanics, the themes, the major cards of each set. And if you really, really want to do well at the draft, you need to do a lot of research ahead of time. Uh, You want to listen to various people talk about the sets, and there are numerous groups out there. Limited Resources is probably the premier group that talks about the limited format and they always do a set review of each card before the set comes out typically they get it out even before pre-release happens some of those videos are lengthy we're talking four four and a half hours sometimes depending on the size of the set but it is worth it and their their opinion is is great so you got to go listen to them yeah and the only reason why those are those episodes are just so long is because they actually go into depth about card by card, yeah. They go in depth, card by card, pros, cons, weaknesses, strengths, the whole kit and caboodle about yeah. it. And like it is, uh, I can't remember what set it was, but I actually because in our our play group we have a group message, mm-hmm. and every single time a new set comes out, Joe's always sending messages, <laughs> always sending us links to videos. And I click on the video and it goes, oh, look, this one's three hours long. I'll just hit him up for the, I'll just hit him up for the, uh, (laughs) I'll give you the cliff notes later. Yeah, yeah, give me the cliff notes. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, I mean, if if you really want to do well, you need to know those cards in advance because you you saw how quickly that time can go by. So you need to be able to evaluate those cards. Mm -hmm. You really need to find out which cards have the greatest impact on the set overall. Meaning what are your bombs? What are your best removal spells? All right, that that's what you got to find out, and if you you need to be able to identify those quickly, so that you can know. All right, especially in pack one, if you open a bomb, an amazing card, a very influential card, is your rare. Do you want to pick that because it may be an extremely bomb card? But you also have to evaluate then how well are you going to get the support for that card. All right, so knowing what what the bombs and the removal spells and the support cards are extremely important and at the very least at the very least you need to know what your color combinations are trying to do it is extremely rare that you will play a monocolored deck rare i've seen people do it they just happen to draft a monocolored deck but it is not easy to do by a long shot and so typically you're playing at least two if not a third color So how do those colors interact? What are the synergies you're trying to find and accomplish throughout the deck? Uh, And and that's what you have to know in advance. So we did a Modern Horizons 2 draft not too long ago, but it had been well after MH2 had come out. 
And so I, I didn't have time to go back and review all the individual cards. I mean, by that point, we kind of knew what the big cards were. But I did make sure I went back and said, okay, your Boros combination is trying to do modular. All right. Your Demir color combination is trying to do a mill thing. Your Rakdos is a treasure idea. You know, so I at least knew what I was getting into depending on the color combination that I managed to pick. And it wasn't, uh, I think it was Is It that was discard. That was, yeah, that, that kind of had a discard it, delirium idea to it. Yeah, yeah it was like, well, it, it wasn't really Is It, it was more like Grixis. So like right, the three yeah. color combination was all about like delirium and delirium, getting yeah, madness. Delirium, right, madness. Actually, uh, yeah, yeah. So at the very least, you need to do that. We did already talk briefly about listening to the opinions of others. Um, not everybody's going to have the same opinion. Mm-hmm. People are going to ver- evaluate cards differently based on their own experiences, and really depending on when, how long that set has been out opinions of cards may change all right it's funny you know the card uh for what force of will is that for the counter spell where you can discard a card or exile a blue card and pay a life to counter a spell instead of paying its mana cost yeah i think force of will i think it's force of will force of will all right so i was listening to a podcast and i won't say the name of the podcast um but i was listening to a podcast uh and they were talking, they were doing the set review for when this set came out. And they actually, they reviewed Force of Will, and they, they actually said, I think this is just going to be like the bulk mythic that's included in the set. This isn't going to be worth very much. People aren't going to really like it. You know, people aren't going to use, why, they, they actually, they, they said, you could pay five to counter a spell, or you could actually two for one yourself by having to use Force of Will and exile a blue card and then pay another life in order to make that happen. Now, granted, keep in mind, the set hadn't been out yet. Now, Force of Will, I think it was it, it's valued at almost $100 a card. It is. Yeah. You know, so I have one. The, my point point being you you want to take into account how long the set has been out when you're listening to those opinions and know the date of when they made that opinion because I guarantee the, the guys that made that podcast, if they would go back and listen to that now, they would completely say, wow, we, we got that one wrong. You know? So... <laughs> missed it by that much. Yeah, missed it by quite a bit. So, um, the other thing you can do is watch people draft. There are so many people out on the internet that show their draft process and will talk about why they're making certain picks. One of the people that are kind of like the pinnacle, Luis Scott Vargas... He doesn't talk a lot all the time, but he is an excellent drafter, and he talks about why he makes certain picks sometimes. Um, Channel Fireball typically sponsors many people where they'll put their drafts up online, and you can watch them. All right, Chris, you ever practiced drafting? Uh, besides that one time on um, Arena and actually doing it in person one time, no. No. Well, I've got a great way for you to practice your drafting skills. All right. Get a pack. And unfortunately, we have to say this. You need to make sure it is a draft booster pack. Oh, yeah. You cannot do this with a set booster. You cannot do this with a collector booster. It must be a 15-card draft pack. All right. Sit down. Open the pack. Give yourself 40 seconds. And evaluate your cards. Then decide your pick. 
again, you're basically just trying to go off of the first card and say, all right, if this were a pack that I open this up, pack one, and I'm drafting, I have 40 seconds to pick a card, which card would be the best pick in here? Not necessarily always like, what, well, how good is the rare? Should I take the rare? No, which card is the best card out of that pack? Sometimes the rare is just a dud. It's just not a good rare. I mean, I don't, I don't care what people try to say. The green card from Forgot Adventures in the Forgotten Realms that if you spend 8 mana on it, it puts your life total back at 20. Long rest. As, oh. that, is, that is a bad rare. <laughs> do not do not take that rare. It's bad. <laughs> All right? Um but things like the 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 one green dragon with that you know oh old Nawbone. yeah yeah but yeah. old Nawbone, on the other hand i think he costs like 6 or 8 something like that right but he is so much better oh yeah you know a fantastic card tiamat is another great example mm -hmm. tiamat is a great commander card a lot of fun difficult to build around in a limited format. You don't really have the support to build a five-color deck and get Tiamat on the battlefield and then get the dragons. So typically, in draft, Tiamat, not a great pick. Because, again, it, 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 was, it had some monetary value to it, but it's just not a good pick to build a deck to win. Yeah. All right. So you can practice. Um, I know that that does cost money to practice, you know, but at the same time, remember you keep the cards and it really is just an exercise in evaluating packs. So Chris, again, you've alluded to this. The day of the event happened. We're here. We're ready to go. What'd you do? I showed up early because I actually want, because I also got dinner. Um, <laughs> cause our LGS is right next to a grocery store. So I always go my usual routine is if I go play magic, I get sushi. There you go. So, and I'm, and once I have a tradition or routine set, I do not mess with it because I'm not superstitious. I'm just unlucky at times. Oh, there you go. And so, <laughs> um, so I don't mess with tradition or routines. And so if I go play magic, I always get sushi. Um, so I got my sushi. I showed up, I let them know that I was there, I sat down, I got all my stuff out, which included, like, well, I had to buy some sleeves, because I forgot sleeves, oh, and I needed some anyway. Um, so I got my sleeves, I had my, um, I had my dice, my token box, um, my notepad for life, and a pencil. Plus, I also had some extra decks, just so that, you know, if I had time, time to kill beforehand can play stuff, you know, whatnot, wait for her registration. But um, other than that, it was pretty much business as usual, like we said in one of our yeah earlier episodes. Like, if you know where you're going, um, know what to bring, stuff like that, you want to kind of treat it the same way you would as for, like, a Friday Night Magic. Um, but as soon as I got there and everything registered, got the packs, and then... Barring one guy showing up late and you having oh uh, yeah we had we had some out, issues yeah you Just some... you dipping out so that you could judge so that he could play you know I mean besides all of that like once we got once we got going it was just it was fun yeah and basically you know you 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 hit the nail on the head for everything that we we want our listeners to know get there early have your supplies, make sure you have the Magic Companion app downloaded on your phone, mm -hmm. have your Wizards account ready to go, it just makes check-in that much easier. 
Um, and you bring a couple decks in other formats. You know, sometimes you just need to kill time until everybody arrives. Sometimes you really just don't have enough people show up, even though you thought you were going to, and we've had that happen too. So you have another way to play, even if the draft doesn't actually happen. Once we get to the event, so you, you've checked in, you're ready to go. You need to find your place at the table. Depending on where you are will depend on, and, and by that I mean like where the location that you're actually playing at, can determine how strict they are about your seating assignment. Seating assignment is usually random. Uh, the judge will place you where they want you to be. Sometimes they do give you specific seats, but most of the time it's, it's not going to be a problem. All right. Once you're seated, just listen to the instructions from the judge that's actually calling the draft. Hopefully you have a judge there. Uh, I did hear a, a story from one of the players at our Mystery Booster draft that the last time he went to a draft where there was no judge, it was absolute chaos. No one was following any sort of procedure. They were just cracking packs, looking, picking the card they want, and pass. He said it was just miserable. So hopefully you have a judge there. If you don't, it's very simple. You open. Everyone opens the pack when they are instructed to do so. You do not look at the actual cards until you're instructed to do so. You remove any cards, like tokens, all right, or the add cards that happen to be in packs when you're told to do so. Then, once you're allowed, you look at the cards, you pick your card within the time limit, you put your chosen card face down, you don't mix up your chosen cards with your draft, the rest of your draft pack, you pass the pack on, and then you wait until you're told to look at the next pack of cards. It's really that simple, all right? Uh, you just got to listen to, the, to the, the judge or keep those simple ideas in mind. Once you're ready to draft your deck, Chris, what's the most important thing to do? Uh... Figure out a game plan. Oh, I like that idea. Mine was going to be stay calm. Eh. Eh. How about stay calm and formulate a game plan? There you go. There we go. Yeah, staying calm is extremely important at this time and, and getting your ideas together as to how you want to play. The 40 seconds for that first pick, Chris, you've already said, it goes by much faster. Oh, God, you said it was 40 seconds, and I went, okay, and I'm looking through the cards trying to figure out which one I wanted, and then you were like, 10 seconds, and I was like, wait, but it's only been like two. <laughs> it's a crap. <laughs> yeah. And so, like... So I ended up picking, I actually picked my test card for Just that because one. why not? <laughs> um, that was actually the crab. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, oh, I'll just take the test card just to add to my collection, pass. And then, and then as I went, like, because it goes from like 40 seconds down to like 30 or 35. 35 for a couple and then 30 and then 25, 20. Yeah. Yeah. So like it just can, but that's because like there's so, there's fewer cards and by the time you get drowned, we had, what, six people? We had six in our draft squad, yeah. yeah. So by the seventh time, it was that was my pack getting back to me. So yeah. that was the first wheel. And I was like, oh, you're back. Okay, here you yeah. go. It's like, and, like, I, there were times whenever I was drafting that it went, because whenever I went in, like, I started with, like, I just chose, like, a color combination. Like, I, I chose 
a pear and a shard. I oh, went, yeah. So I went, is it... Well, my shard was Grixis, just because I haven't played Grixis in a while, and I just wanted to try and do it. Why not? <laughs> so I chose Grixis, and then that way it gave me... Um, is it... It gave me three two colors. Yeah. Yeah, three two colors mm -hmm. to kind of work with. I, And I think I... I almost drafted enough cards of the right colors that I almost had an Is It deck, and I almost had like everything else as another deck. Wow! So well, I saw that half after your first game, you went and switched a bunch of cards out. Yeah, so you I satisfied because I went from the first one. I went from Is It to Demir. Yeah, because like all the blue card. Because originally I was going to go for like a spell slinger style and just like. Like, try to counter stuff, do stuff, and then play the long game, and then get something yeah. in. Get the big guy in that you saw that was in right. my hands in the last <laughs> game. And so, like, I started out with just drafting a shard. Because mm -hmm. um, I didn't know really what I was getting. And then there were a couple of points where it was, alright, you guys aren't really that good, but you would go really good in another one of my decks, so I'm just going to pick this one. So I ended up drafting cards that I would I knew I wasn't going to use at the tournament, mm -hmm. but I knew had homes in other decks that I had. Well, there you like go. My other commander decks, like I had two that were both um, changelings. Yeah. So and there were one was white, one was red, and the other. And so I'm like, cool. I have a Ren and Sari deck, which really deals, which is, um, really focused around cats and dogs and casting those. Mm -hmm. So if it's a so if it's a changeling. Oh, tribal sorcery shapeshifter chain um it's a tribal sorcery changeling and it has sorry shapeshifter with changeling on it it will actually count as somewhat of a creature spell yeah for mm -hmm. ren and Sari. so i'm like cool i need you to plus mirror entity that's good in any mm -hmm. tribal deck that can run it so um so i ended up drafting cards that i wanted either for other decks or just because they would look just because they were funny. Right. So, like... And we're going to get into that idea, too, when it does come to drafting, uh, when we talk about prize structure that, that can pop up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, remember, too, there's a bit of luck involved when drafting, uh, similar to your sealed events, which we'll do a, a podcast on, on that format as well. But you, you don't know what's going to come in your pack. You, know, you don't know what's in the packs next to you. So, there is going to be a bit of luck. But at the same time, there's also a lot of skill because you get to pick the cards individually that you want from each pack. So just keep that in mind. You don't want to reveal specific cards from your pack or give hints as to the quality of the pack. Uh, I have seen it before where someone opens up their pack and there's like that sought-after card, the Chase Mythic from the set, and someone's eyes get big. And you're kind of you just you're hoping and praying that no one just gives it away <laughs> as you're watching this happen from a judge viewpoint, you know, because you're just like, just stay calm, do your thing, it's okay, just pick the if that's the card you want, pick it and move, all right? <laughs> just but you really got to think like a poker game, all right? Straight faced, you don't want to give anything away to your opponent, all right? Uh, and again, you can't control the cards in the pack, so you're drafting the best of what you have available. You're, you're trying to do the best you can. Sometimes you're just not going to get the cards that you need. Sometimes you're going to get through the first pack and you think, it's great, I've got all the support that I want. You get to pack two and all of a sudden you're getting nothing. 
absolutely nothing. So, Chris, I am kind of interested. When you got to pack two, all right, because pack one, we pass one way, mm-hmm. all right? Pack two, we pass the opposite way. Did you notice a change in what you were getting from the packs on pack two? Yes. Because, yes, because everyone that was to my right, because the first one we passed the... You pass left first, then yeah. right. So yeah. everyone to the right of me were like seasoned players, but everyone that was on the opposite side of the table, so everyone that was to my left, they were all somewhat newer players. So, oh. so the newer, so like the more seasoned players, they were like getting all the good, like they were like kind of, they pretty much got to cherry pick everything. Interesting. So, like, looking back on it, like everything that was being passed to the left. That went through those guys. It seemed like a, like it went through him, went through the first one, went through the second one, got to me, and I'm like, uh, okay, I'll take that one. But then whenever we re- we reverse directions, it's like I was hitting like like it was just a gold mine in there with like some mm-hmm. of the, that's whenever I was getting some of my really good stuff, and that's whenever I was it was actually this the second time around. That I was actually getting a lot, I was able to kind of, instead of going for the shard, I was actually able to start going into like different, focusing on some of the different uh, different guilds. Yeah. Like guild combinations. And then whenever we went go back to the left, that's whenever it went down again. So mm-hmm. like the guys next, the guys that were to my right, when we were passing left, the guys that were before me were pretty much, they knew exactly what they wanted and they knew what worked well together. And so I was like, so even though it was kind of random, I mean, we just all kind of sat there. Yeah. I think on the app it said where we were supposed to sit, but we all just said, no, we're just going to sit here. Yeah. like There is a a method to it, but where you're at was was fine. Um, but that is something to keep in mind, too. You know, when it comes to the, the direction that you're passing the packs, you know, sometimes if you're looking for those, let's just say, red cards, and you're able to find a lot of red cards in pack one, pack two going the opposite way, maybe someone else has been drafting red, but they've been picking up all, like, the, the, uh, the second pickings because you've been getting them first. Well, the second time in pack two, now they're getting first choice, and now you're getting stuck with what's left. So always keep that in mind. Um, you know, you have to deal with that as well. Chris, you asked me about this before you actually started drafting that night, and you you, you asked me what's that thing I need to remember, and I told you what it was. What is it? Bread. Except now we use keto. Keto. Yeah, bread was the old acronym that uh, gave sort of a hierarchy of importance when it came to cards that you should select. Nowadays, I'm not even gonna give out you know what it what it's in the reading all right uh now we're going to use keto keto so keto is actually an acronym and k-e-t-o each letter stands for the hierarchy of importance when it comes to cards that you should take and how you should evaluate packs of course at the very top it's kind of not really stated it's just kind of implied if you come across one of the big splashy bomb cards from the from the set you should probably just take that if you know that there's going to be support for it too just just take that all right or if 
like you're in pack, you're opening up pack three, and you get the best card for your deck, even if it's not the hierarchy of importance we're about to talk about, take that card, all right? Just take it, all right? Throw Keto out the window and take the card, put it into your deck if you know it's going to be an amazing help in your in your direction. Keto is a good guideline, yeah. but it's also very flexible and it's situational dependent. Yeah. If it if you have a pack that whenever you like whenever you get the pack, if it doesn't really work with what you're pulling, follow keto, mm-hmm. like kind of follow keto to the best of ability. But like you said, if you get that one card that you just know will work perfectly with everything, Keto's on the side of the road, and you're taking that yeah, card. take it. So, Keto stands for Kill Spells, Efficient Creatures, Top End Cards, and here we're talking Mana Value 5 or higher. O is for Other. Now, we're just going to give you a brief overview, because our extended reading actually is the... Uh, the the guys who developed this, the Keto guys from is the new limited, bread. yeah, the guys from Limited Resources, they developed this, and so we're gonna let them really explain it. Uh, we will include the link in the show notes, but essentially, kill spells, things that remove threats that your opponents put up there. If it causes something to die to removal, that's a kill spell. Yeah, uh, in fact, the first Modern Horizons to the sealed event that we did when it first came out, I fully believe I won that tournament simply because half of my deck was removal kill spells. You know, if you're just able to eliminate your opponent's threats, they can't do anything to you. All right. Now you got to have a way to respond to that with efficient creatures. All right. It's not enough. Kill spells don't win games. Kill spells make it so your opponent can't win the game, but you still have to have an efficient creature that can get in there and win the game. But efficient, cheap creatures aren't enough. You need top-end cards, meaning those mana value cards, five or higher, that are typically the big heavy hitters of the set. Sorry, I like as we're talking about this, I'm thinking of the cards that I drafted. Yeah. And I'm like kind of filtering them in into like which ones and then realizing how well like certain cards played with each other and where they all fit because mm-hmm. kill spells I know I only I only have a handful in, in right the, in one of the deck in the deck that I yeah. built efficient creatures there was one creature he's actually all he, it was my test card it was the crab one that made all 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 lands into islands and then buff oh the right, hom- right 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 yeah. whatever he was actually an efficient creature. But he also worked well with a top end card that I pulled, which was the b- 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 Felty, the um, the the oh Dominus, the Dominus of Fealty, yeah. yeah, the Dominus of Fealty, because even though I was playing a two color deck by making all of my lands islands, mm-hmm. all well all lands islands, I was able to just go all right. I'm tapping five, playing this big guy, and he does big splashy things, right? And so there was just. That happenstancial synergy between those two, and I was like, these two are staying in here regardless. Oh yeah. And then like other spells, the one that actually kind of protected me a little bit was uh, Gengu, uh, Gen Genku, um, the Enchant Swamp with, and you can oh, pay two and make it a creature. Genju of the Fens. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was actually really nice for me because that. That means I could have a blocker, you know, yeah, a reliable exactly. blocker, exactly. and so a little bit of protection. But 
I mean, I went, I got third place at that tournament. Right. And yeah. so, That's I, not bad. so I'm like, I'm going through it and I'm like, well, yeah. Cause I completely forgot about bread. Like, right. we, like we touched <laughs> on it. I threw it out the window and just kind of had fun. But now looking back, I did follow keto a little bit. I could have had more kill spells. But you can't control what gets passed to you, so you take what you can. Exactly. and But I did do well with finding efficient creatures and top-end cards and just having fun with it and just doing it that way. And right. Like, I honestly just kind of picked off of colors and then mm -hmm. was just going to be like, all right, let's see what happens. And then I ended up doing actually, you know, getting third place out of six. Hey, top 50%. I'll take that That's one. That's good. So once you have remembered keto, the last thing you really need to do is pay attention to what colors are available. Part of being a good drafter is recognizing what people aren't taking, what people aren't drafting, so that you have cards available. It doesn't matter how badly you want to draft a, a Simic deck. If those cards aren't available, you're not drafting a Simic deck. It's just not going to happen. So you need to be flexible, which is why it's so important when you're doing your research, pay attention to what all the different color combinations do. Yes, you may like one more than the other, but that really doesn't matter. You are looking for the, the color pair that's available, most available, so you can create the most efficient deck possible. That's what wins you games. That's what wins you tournaments. All right, It's not picking the cards that you like it, or... Um, it's not about building the deck that you want to build. It's about building the best deck that's available. So always keep that in mind. And Chris, I know you were talking about this when we, we talked about it earlier. You know, you, you were starting to realize what colors were available, weren't available, how people were drafting. And it's, it's not even saying that you knew they were picking those particular colors, but you started, I'm sure, to notice that, okay, red cards happen to be available, black cards, blue cards, so I'm going to start working in these colors and seeing what I can do to make it happen. Yeah, like I said, like I just, I wanted to just kind of play it safe, and I started with just going for a shard. Right. But then once, you know, after a couple of, you know, packs get passed around and whatnot, and, you know, card selection get, starts getting slimmer, that's whenever I would shift over to focusing more onto one of the combinations. Yeah. And I just happened to just go more towards either is it or dimmer mm -hmm. um i i think i only got like two green cards right two, yeah three green cards and then a handful of white a couple of multicolors. yeah but for the most part my cards were red black and blue yeah so and and again that's what happened to be open for you so that's what you're picking all right and not to say that other people weren't drafting red and black it's not like you got all of the cards oh no the yeah. game, game three he was playing red black yeah and that was actually the longest game that I had for that night. Right. And it just, and it actually came down to being just a war of attrition. Yeah. And him getting a flyer out and me having no flyer defense. And it just goes, all right, I'm still going to do stuff. I'm not going to let you win. And I didn't have any land. Well, I did have, I did have five lands. Or I had four lands. I was looking for one more. And then he takes out my crab and I went, well, I'm done. Yeah. There it goes. So it's, a, it's about paying attention to what's available and works with your colors. The last thing you need to do when you're drafting, and this doesn't always apply, and typically it won't unless you go to a competitive event, 
Um, you'll need to register your, your pool of cards, what you got, and that's so that everybody, especially the judges, are able to check your deck if necessary to make sure you're not subbing cards in that you may have brought with you. Remember, no cheating allowed here. Uh, and so if they do a random deck check uh, on your deck, they'll need to know what cards you pulled so they'll know what's supposed to be in your deck, what's supposed to be in your sideboard. The registration typically doesn't happen at uh, regular rules enforcement level unless the store is really, or the tournament organizer is particularly picky about that. But typically that doesn't happen. All right, we've drafted all our cards. We have everything ready to go. We made it through the hard part. Now it's time to build the deck. So Chris, you drafted all your cards. What went through your head as you were building your deck? Well, the first thing that caught me off guard is I was used to like 45 minutes to build the deck. Right. What caught me off guard was the, what was it, 30 minutes? 20. 20. Uh, yeah. They gave like, you 20 minutes to build your deck. The 20 minute time was like, because in Sealed, I like pre-release and everything, because we have so much time, I end up building like two decks that mm -hmm. I swap between. I had 20 minutes. I went, well, crap. All right. So I took out, so I pretty much went, I think as it was my first one, mm -hmm. tried that. I got absolutely trounced with that one, and I ended up just going, all right, I'm switching over to Dimmer, and ended up, like, we actually had to hold up a little bit. Oh, yeah, just a couple minutes, because you were the last event done, so we gave you some time to sideboard. Yeah, yeah. so, like, I just had to sideboard real quickly, just swap out lands and everything. Yeah. Oh, that's the one with the, uh, that was the one after, that was the round... That was first round, which was Precursor Golem, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Yes. Yep. That, that was a fun judge call. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but, like, it, I saw that it wasn't really doing what I wanted it mm -hmm. to, and I knew that I didn't really have much to play with in those colors to kind of fine-tune it. So I just ripped one color out and threw another one in. Right. Got, a, got mm -hmm. it up to that 40 that I needed, shuffled up, played, and I went, and I ended up winning the next one. So I'm like, yeah. okay. So... Chris mentioned that you didn't have as much time to build your deck as you do for a sealed event. And again, we'll talk about that on our sealed event primer. A lot of the reason you're not given as, as much time, well, there's really two big reasons. Number one, it takes about half an hour to do the draft when you really mm. get down to it. Uh, you know, because you're, you're, we have to go through every card for every pack. You get time to review in between packs, review your pools and everything. So it does take about 30 minutes just to do the draft to begin with. From that point... Number one, we don't want to hold up the tournament any longer than what we need to. But in addition, in a sealed event, you don't know what you're getting ahead of time. So you have to go through all the cards, and you have so many cards. You have like 90 cards to pick from to begin with. But at a draft, you picked those cards. So the idea is you already have a concept of what you, de what you want your deck to do. It shouldn't take you that much longer to fine-tune it. You will have more cards in your pool than necessary to meet those minimum deck requirements. You should have 45 cards at least, all right? At least. You should have, you know, and you don't need that many to make your, of, of those cards to make your actual deck. You need to cut the cards that make the deck less efficient. The remaining cards will make up your sideboard. And of course, this is a continuous construction event. So you'll have access to your sideboard throughout the event. You can swap cards from your sideboard into your main deck and main deck into your sideboard at any time. And you have you do not have to go back to a basic deck 
right, in between games or in between matches. And you have also have an unlimited number of basic lands in your sideboard. So, of course, even though you don't draft any of those basic lands you can just put in. Keep in mind, this does not mean non-basics. Right, your tap lands that provide two colors, Waste from the uh, Oath of the Gatewatch right, set, Snow lands, if you want those, you have to draft those. All right, you're not able to go and just grab those out of a, a land bin. All right. Uh, but the continuous build policy, extremely important. Make sure that you, you're aware that you can continue to make your deck and fine-tune it throughout the entire event, and you don't have to go back to a basic deck that you started with at the, for game one of each match. All right. At this point, I think the next thing, you just had to play your deck, right? Mm -hmm. Just play it and hope for the best and pay attention to what your opponents are doing and you know try to sideboard the best you can. Believe in the heart of the cards. Yeah, I mean, you know, you uh, with that continuous build, you can review how your deck performs and make changes. Small changes really can have a large, um, mm -hmm. large effect on the efficiency of your deck. And and a story from one of my own drafts, I was playing a Jeskai artifact deck. All right, that or that that the last Modern Horizons two draft I did. I tried to do Boros. I didn't quite get enough white and red cards to make a full deck, so I threw in some of the blue affinity cards. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I thought I had my land base really great and knew exactly what I wanted because I only had like five or six blue cards. So I figured two blue lands and I had another, like two other sources of blue mana. I think this would be great. This would be fine. No big deal. Well, after the first game went great, Second game, I got stuck with four blue cards in my hand that I couldn't play, and I had no blue mana out on the field. So I'm kind of stuck. Well, so in between games two and three, I literally took out one planes, put in one island instead. The deck ran so smooth the rest of the night. So little changes like that really can make a huge difference in the efficiency of your deck. See, you make that one small change of just re replacing one land. Right. My deck actually ran a heck of a lot better after ripping out an entire color and like <laughs> half, and literally half of my deck came out. Well, yeah, and I put it and I replaced it with a completely different color, and so it, so it can either be a big change or a small change, but like once you get to playing it, you'll realize where kind of where the hangups are, mm -hmm. where the trouble spots are. Like, if your curve seems a little off, if yeah. you don't have the right colors, you know. Hopefully, if you're playing in, like, an eight-person, with an eight-person pod, you might get a couple more than, you know, you might get more than three games out of it. Right. So, you'll be able to get a, you'll be able to get more, um, be able to get a better feel for it that way after, by, like, round two or, mm -hmm. like, round two, maybe three, you might be able to get a real handle on where the hang-ups are so that you can kind of fine-tune it just to finish strong in the yeah. last couple of rounds. Yeah. But, again, you know, pay attention. Pay attention to your deck. Pay attention to what you're doing. Pay attention to what your opponents are doing, too. Mm -hmm. You know, because you want to be able to make those those sideboard choices that are appropriate after game one. Be prepared for game two. Um, and then you also want to make sure that you're paying attention to if you want to keep that sideboard choice. You know. All right. We made it through the event. We made all, through all your matches, all right? Time to ask yourself a couple questions. Chris, did you enjoy the draft experience? I definitely will, if I'm able to. 
I really hate that they're always on Saturdays. Right. If they were on, like, a Sunday, I would happily go to as many drafts as I can. I want to do more drafts. Like, I had a lot of fun. And I was just going into that one blind. Mm -hmm. If I know that it... If I know what set is going to be drafted, one, I would have a little bit more time ahead of... You know, a little bit of time to, like reacquaint myself with the set yeah and figure everything out do my research you know whatnot but i had a lot of fun drafting i don't know if it was just because of the people that were there or with the cards that i pulled or just it being a brand new experience but i genuinely had a lot of fun and like it was just it was a different experience but it was fun i definitely enjoyed it one of the reasons i really like uh, drafting is it takes out the financial aspect of playing magic. We, we know from, from, uh, personal experience when it gets to certain formats, it, it's not entirely pay to win, but the more you spend definitely can influence how well you do at an event. All right. We, we know that from personal experience. All right. But drafting takes that financial portion out of the equation everybody pays the same amount you get three packs you have to build your deck right there and it's no longer a test of how much did you spend on your deck and how well do you know how to play that deck it's how well do you know how to build a deck and then play that deck with the cards that you're given to work with and even with draft i i really think it has a different approach than sealed with draft, you're you're working with so many different packs, and you're able to pick individual cards that mm-hmm. you want. Um, and again, that gets back into that idea where it's it's not pay to win. It's it's not so much luck of the draw like it is with sealed, but it it truly is how well can you build a deck, you know, with the cards that are given to you. Now, I will again say, I only like drafting in paper. I hate drafting in digital. I will not draft in digital. I don't want to draft in digital because I don't feel like I get anything when it's all said and done. I really feel like I'm just throwing money at a, at some corporation. Granted, I realize I'm doing that as well with the paper side as well, but at least I get paper cards in my hand to take home. Well, with with it being digital, you're literally throwing it at their client. Yeah. By doing it in paper, you're giving the money to the LGS who's then... You know, then right. in turn, giving it to the corporation or distributor and then, you know, whatever. Yeah. It, there's a lot, it has to change a lot more hands when you do it in paper and it feels a lot more down to earth. Yeah. Uh, I guess we also want to look at how do we fare at evaluating the packs. I know with the mystery booster experience, it's it's kind of difficult to, to evaluate because there's so many different cards from so many different sets. Uh, but when you when you go down to... An individual, you know, a, a standard release set, you do want to kind of take a look at it. It can be difficult sometimes to really review how well you evaluated a pack when you're not able to look at it so much afterwards. And you can't remember all the cards, and then you're trying to realize, well, this is what I had, but this is what I drafted. What I drafted worked really well, but should I have taken something else? You know, kind of an idea. Sometimes that's really hard to do. See, my biggest problem is because I'm more 
because I'm more financially, I have a more financial mindset whenever it comes to magic because I consider my cards to be an investment, mm-hmm. especially since my there's a comma in the value of the cards that I take to mat to like any of my commanders. Mm-hmm. Like, I only have like six of the twelve. Uh, I think I have like eight of the twelve into an like into a catalog. Right. And there's already a comma in it, so like I'm I'm looking at it as an investment. Yeah. And so my biggest thing is every time I crack a pack, the first thing I do is I go to the very back and I see what that rare is. Mm-hmm. And that usually dictates... And before the draft, that's how I would dictate how good the pack was. It's right. Like, it's like, did, did, I, did I make any did I, money? Did I make money off of the pack? Did I make any money? Yeah. No. W- would it have been cheaper for me to buy that rare individually than just me pull out of a pack? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, but with the draft, it was, it had to get me out of that mindset of thinking, just like getting how our LGS does like different formats. Mm -hmm. It has like, I literally had to rip myself out of the format, like building strictly for the format of commander. Yeah. Because I forgot that I could have hybrid spells in a monocolored deck. Yes. Well, and you can have multiple copies, all right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> it it's given me a new way to, like, see the value of that pack mm-hmm. by not just going, oh, did, you, did I make money off of it? No. But then now I can look at a pack and go, yeah, I definitely keep you. I mean, you're a good kill spell. I mean, hey, all right. I mean, you. If I see you, you know, if I see you around the wheel, I'll definitely take you. But right. I'm not gonna take you now. Yeah. So it definitely changed my perspective on how I how like I look at packs. Yeah. I want to bring up one more, and this isn't actually in the show notes, but it's an important concept that I have heard people discuss when it comes to drafting, and it's the idea of prizes for draft. Typically. Prizes are given out in terms of packs. You you get additional cards or maybe store credit or something like that. Uh, But there is a a rationale that says at the end of the draft, we're going to take all the rares from the draft, we're going to lay them all out on a table, and then we're going to go in order of how you placed, and we're going to redraft all the rares based off of the order of how well you did in the draft. So... First person, whoever plays first, gets to pick the you know the first rare off the table. Now, the reason that this has become, or this was at one point a, a popular style of prize pool for this format, was to discourage people from rare drafting a set. Meaning, again, we look at it from a financial standpoint first. Would it be cheaper for me to simply buy that card individually, or is it worth far more than I just paid for the pack? There were, for a long time, many people out there that would just, they, they would take the rare. They would take all the rares they could get. It didn't matter whether it worked in their deck or not. They weren't there to actually play the game. They were there to get the most value out of the cards that they could get, and then they were going to leave. And so, to an extent, the idea of redrafting the rares at the end makes sense. It does encourage people to draft a good deck so you get first pick rather than just pull all the rares up front. Personally, <laughs> I hate that idea. <laughs> and if and if someone would say that's the prize structure for tonight, I would not go to that draft. 
you started talking about that, and I hope you saw the eye twitch that I Oh, yes, I saw. That's why I was like, hold on. (laughs) You know, let me explain why people did this, you know. Like, I I understand it, but if I draft a card, that means I wanted it. Exactly. Like, just because one or two people are just rare drafting doesn't mean that everybody is. And so that, you know, doing, you know, just so you know, doing collective punishment to... Punishing the collective to punish one person yeah. is actually against the Geneva Conventions. I did not know that, but <laughs> okay. At the same time, I'm always more of a fan of going in and, and knowing that there are packs on the line or store credit on the line. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, am, I am much more incentivized to build that efficient deck that actually wins games more easily because I know, and I, I've seen it, I've, I've had it from experience, you know, I may draft a deck that only has two or three rares in it, you know, or maybe even just one. But if I end up winning the, the tournament and I get this, you know, stack of packs, you know, if I get 12, 15 packs out of it, well, I just did a lot better than the guy who went and rare drafted nine rares that eh, may have been good. You know, maybe not, but he just did it because it was all the rares. The packs that I pull may have a lot more value in those, you know. So it's just another thing to think about when you're reviewing your experience. The prize structure, you should, if you're, if you really care about that, you should take it into account. Um, and the prize structure really, I think, becomes more important to people the longer you you play. When you're, when I first started, I didn't care too much. Um, you know, oh, but the the first night that I went to a Friday Night Magic, I ended up winning the random prize, and I think that was the last time I won anything for like a year <laughs> and a half or more. Right. Like I just go to have fun. It isn't until recent. It it actually isn't up until like I got out of the Air Force that I started actually caring about like how I placed and everything. Yeah. I, I and the best I've ever done is second. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's even after, so that one was funny because you got first in that one. Oh I, right, I can't remember what it was, but you got first definitely, and then like, whenever at the end of the tournament, like after everyone had reported or whatever, mm-hmm. we all looked and they said that I had third. Then prizes were distributed. Well, we updated like you know I. Oh yeah, yeah, because I Companion updated hadn't it, updated yet. Because yeah. you know I then you know just kind of swiped it you know just to see if mm-hmm. it would update, and then when it updated, it said I was second. Yeah. So I'm like, well, that means he like he got his you know I think it was like six, like four or something like he got hit no it was three and I got six yeah and you got twelve mm-hmm. so he got his three boosters, and then it was like hey, it's like. Sorry, I got my three boosters. He got his six. Yeah. And we had already cracked him whenever I saw that. And it was like, hey, look, this is actually what it is now. It's like, all right, here you go. Here's your three. You know, here's yeah. here's a couple more just to make it even, you know, so right. that you get yours. And I'm like, well, crap. I should have just said, you know, it's like, <laughs> I should have just been like, look, you know, I want my six packs. Yeah. And, you know, because, you know, the guy that got third just now got six, got nine packs and I just got. You know, they did it to where it was, like, really weird, and I was yeah. like, I felt like I kind of got a little gypped on it, but I'm like, and eh, you know what, I think that was also the first night we were using it. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. we weren't entirely sure how it worked yet. And that's the only yeah. reason why I didn't make a big stink about yeah. it, because there was a small learning curve, but... This being the Magic Companion app, you know, it yeah. had been the first time that we had tried it at this particular LGS, and so, actually, any of us had tried it, so, uh, so yeah. But again, keep those things in mind. 
I think this kind of wraps up our uh, our thoughts on drafting. Mm-hmm. So, any extended reading beside? Well, I know we mentioned it earlier, but why don't you tell us about the extended reading? Well, and again, I want to make sure that people know we are going to link the video by Limited Resources. Uh, it's titled "Keto is the New Bread." It's Limited Resources, episode six eleven. Uh, it the hosts are Marshall Sutcliffe and Louis Scott Vargas incredibly intelligent magic players they know what they're talking about they will give they'll walk you through the keto idea what it means uh they also actually do a crack with a segment called crack a pack where they actually do open up a pack of magic cards and from a draft viewpoint they evaluate which would be the best pick for the first pick of that you know actually they, they usually go through like the first two or three two or three cards that they would want to pick um depending on what they you know mm-hmm. think would come around to them. But again, incredibly intelligent people. They know what they're talking about. Uh, and so I would also recommend for any other extended reading, go watch people draft. Just go. That is the best way to learn how to do it. The best way to get better at it is just watch people draft. All right. Chris, I think we have talked quite a bit, so we're going to go ahead and skip questions for today. Yep. But with that in mind... Oh, clean up. Yay. All right. So, like I said at the top of the episode, if you would like to contact us, you can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mtgunderthehood. And our Twitter handle is at mtgunderthehood. And with that, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. And we look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned. Woohoo!